I was in Japan and the phone rang in my hotel room and they, they said, would you hold for the Prime Minister? Anybody who's fought an election or, or indeed sat through one knows how exhausting they can be and um, my seat was always hard fought so there, there was no respite and you feel just about you've come to the end of your energy levels and it's one of those amazing things about the body and aspiration that the minute you're told or invited to be a minister you suddenly find all, all this energy. Hello and welcome to the first episode of our special Inside Briefing series, Becoming a Minister. In this series, former ministers and civil servants reveal what it is really like to hold ministerial office and how to do the job well. You will hear all about the challenges, confusion, decisions and drama of a job which really is like no other. My name is Tim Durrant, Programme Director for Ministers at the IFG. On this first episode in the series, we're looking at ministers' first days in the job. No minister forgets the phone call from number 10 when they're offered their first job in government. After they hang up, work starts immediately and quickly takes over everything else in their lives. We've spoken to four former ministers about that first conversation and those first steps into the department. We'll hear what the Prime Minister asked them, how they reacted and what they said to their civil servants on day one. And we'll find out what MPs are really doing while reshuffles are happening, including which former minister had to take a call from Downing Street in a public toilet. Let's hear from Jim Murphy, who was Scotland Secretary at the end of the last Labour government, but his first job was in the Whips office. When the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, rang him to offer him a job, he couldn't quite believe it. It was peculiar when I was appointed a Whip in that I was in Japan and the phone rang in my hotel room and they, they said, would you hold for the Prime Minister? And in Glaswegian, I write means you're taking the piss, go away. In sort of Downing Street English, that means yes, I will, of course. Because I thought it was one of my friends winding me up because a reshuffle had started just before we had left London to go to Tokyo. And I just thought it was one of my mates taking the piss. Sometimes these conversations can be more efficient, especially as most ministers' first government posts are very junior. Experienced DEFRA Minister George Eustace remembers the conversation that led to his appointment back in 2013. Well, pretty short, um, because when it when it's on the ministerial ranks, in fact, there have been some prime ministers, I think, who delegated that to the chief whip, which mm. I think is a bad mistake. But David Cameron uh, appointed me first. I obviously knew him quite well because I'd been his press secretary. But he ha- he brought all of the individual ministers in. I would say it was no more than maybe three minutes. Um, and he just simply said, uh, I want you to do this. I think you'd be very good at this. You've got knowledge of the area and um, talked about a few key areas that he wanted me to focus on. Um, uh, not for the first time I was appointed, said, by the way, apparently there's bad weather forecast, so we could have floods this weekend. Um, and and that was it, really. And then I, I went out and was t- talked through the role by the Cabinet Secretary, I think, at that time. Um, and then the next thing that happened is within about 15 minutes, I had a phone call from my private secretary in my private office. Sometimes, though, the job offer doesn't quite go according to plan, as Jim Murphy remembers from the day he received his second ministerial job, this time, eventually, in the Cabinet Office. I had been a whip for about two years um, in the Blair government, and I was taking our daughter to school, um, and the phone rang and said, would you hold for the Prime Minister? And of course, there was only one way to answer that question. And he offered me a job. And the weird thing was, and this is too weird to be true, but 
that's why it is true, is that when I was taking my picking my daughter up from school later on in the afternoon, the phone rang again and said, would you hold for the Prime Minister? And he offered me a different job. But he hadn't realised he'd offered me another job in the morning. Just it's a chaotic, crazy day. And so I'd been offered two jobs, both of which were quite interesting. And I phoned the chief whip, Hilary Armstrong, and said, look, Tony's called me twice. What should I do? And she said, look, which, which of the two jobs would you like? And I said, I'd like to go to the cabinet office. And she said, well, on the condition that you never tell anyone what the other job was, then you can go to the cabinet office. So even today, I'm not going to say what that second job was <laughs> because there's a Labour minister who was absolutely delighted that they got my castmate cast-offs. So that's, that was my call from Tony Blair when I first became a minister at the Cabinet Office. I'm joined now by my colleague Beatrice Barr, a research assistant on our minister's team, to talk about the experience ministers have of being appointed. Jim Murphy isn't the only one to have a tricky first call with number 10, is he? No. Every minister has a story of when they were first appointed, some funnier than others. Former Chancellor Philip Hammond, for example, remembered being on a train and not being able to get through to number 10 over and over as they called and tried to offer him a job. Former Minister David Gork also remembered waiting all day during a reshuffle to get that job offer, and by the time it came he was watching the cricket and tried to put it off until the end of the over. We also heard from former Minister Margot James, who was out on a visit and ran into the loo in Deal Town Hall to take the call when it came through. There's something quite odd about picturing these ministers in these very everyday places, whether that's on a train or hiding in a public loo, to pick up a call from the Prime Minister. It really demonstrates just how much they're at the whims of the PM, whether they've just entered office after a general election or whether they're in the middle of a surprise reshuffle. Once they manage to get through that first conversation, ministers are hit with the reality of leading a government department. Often, this immediately follows a general election, with all the sleep deprivation that that entails. Former New Labour junior minister Estelle Morris remembers entering ministerial office fresh off the election campaign in a marginal seat. Anybody who's fought an election or, or indeed sat through one knows how exhausting they can be. And um, my seat was always hard fought, so there, there was no respite. And you feel just about you've come to the end of your energy levels. And it's one of those amazing things about the body and aspiration that the minute you're told or invited to be a minister, you suddenly find all, all this energy. So strangely enough, I wasn't tired. And I know that's a very strange thing to say, but there is that feeling of excitement and looking forward. And um, it's very buoyant and it's, it's almost not quite in the real world. New ministers also have to meet their civil servants who've just said goodbye to their predecessor. The civil service is very good at giving you a programme, you know, get, get, getting you to talk to the key people. And the first day really was, I suppose, like it would be in any new job. And that is getting to know people, getting to know the office, the people you'll work with. The difference is you, people look upon you differently than um, they would look upon you in other jobs. They expect you, they look, look upon you as a leader. And certainly in 97, the civil servants who I was meeting that day had been serving a Conservative government four weeks previous. So for them, it, it's a big change. And um, that, that makes a difference if you're taking over from a, Minister of your own party, it might be different. But I was conscious it was a big change for them. And I could sense that in the civil service that collectively they were waiting to see what happened. We were all new. And again, that's different. We went in as a new team, but more often than not, you get your job partway through. And that's different because you're, you're trying to join a team that's already established. Yeah. You are very much the newcomer. 
and the civil service will have prepared a briefing, which some ministers might find useful, but others less so, as former Conservative cabinet minister Andrea Leadsom recalls. The civil service will always prepare a briefing for a new minister. And some ministers don't bother to really look at that. They just sort of say, oh, yes, I'm now city minister, so I'm interested in this and that and don't bother with the rest. But actually, I think a a really good thing to do is to go through the entire portfolio because there might be things in it that actually you think, wow, that's interesting. I did not know that. And that could become one of the things that you want to focus on. So that was really important is understanding the breadth and recognising that you're the bottleneck and that actually you need to give every civil service team the chance. Here's Beatrice again. Tell us, what are the common themes in how ministers talk about their first day? Every minister feels like they're thrown in the deep end. They might have some relevant experience in the sector, but none of them will have run a government department before, and it's very difficult to prepare for that challenge, especially if you're coming in from opposition. Ministers' first days also look like the rest of their days. They're very long, and they go at an astonishing pace. They'll be running from meeting to meeting. Sometimes that will happen immediately after a general election, when they probably haven't slept in about six weeks. The demands on them are really, really huge, and you can see why it's so difficult to get used to. And so what are what are they actually doing when they're rushing around? What are some of the things they face in their first day, in their first week? It's a really good question. You've mentioned the huge briefing that they'll get from the civil service. I think it's pretty rare that all ministers read all of it, but it definitely helps them get up to speed with what the department's working on. But they also have to meet those civil servants. They'll need to meet their private office, who will run their day-to-day lives. They'll also have to meet the other senior civil servants in their department. And they'll probably make some phone calls or arrange meetings with relevant stakeholders outside the department, whether that's in public bodies or in the wider sector. If they're coming in at a reshuffle, they'll also probably take on most of their predecessors' calendar, which can add an extra complication. That means they might have to go on visits very quickly to places that they didn't know about before they were appointed. They might have to spend time in Parliament. They might even be taking a bill through Parliament or trying to catch up on a white paper. That can all happen very quickly. And then at the end of their first week, they've got to return to their constituency and pick up all the responsibilities they left off before they were appointed. Sounds exhausting. While the first day as a minister is always going to be the most challenging, the rate of movement between ministerial jobs means many politicians will face many first days, just in different departments, each of which present their own particular challenges. Let's go back to Jim Murphy, who remembers his amazement walking into the Cabinet Office for his second ministerial job. Day one, week one in the Cabinet Office, I had never been in a room so big. (laughs) And here it was, it was my office. I thought, which part of this space is mine? And the answer was all of it. A desk, a desk as big as a -a five-a-side football pitch and an office with multiple couches and various places to sit. So here was me thinking, oh my gosh. And look, you have to you have to have a certain personality or be brought up in a certain way, not to have some degree of imposter syndrome. And so you got to get used to the fact that in almost every meeting you know least about the subject, but in every one of those meetings you're being asked to apply a decision. And that takes a little while to get used to. Estelle Morris remembers the challenges of her second job as well, when she was promoted to Secretary of State for Education. That was slightly different, and it was a bit of um, an in-between in between the two. It wasn't a new government, but it was a new Secretary of State. And by the time of that um, election, 2001 election, the shine was still there with, uh, with, with the Labour government. So 
there was neither an expectation that the government would change political com- complexion nor a great wish. And th- interestingly, and I think this is, this is a, looking back, this is a key point for me really, is that the civil service at senior level changed at the same time. So although I'd been in the department, I was taking on a more senior job. And equally, strange enough, David Normington, who was the permanent secretary when I was Secretary of State, had been the director of schools. So we both moved up together. So we were both new in the job. So we had both the continuity and the stability and strength that gives you. And I think we'd both agree, looking back, that that meant we underestimated the lack of experience we'd both got at those senior posts. Let's hear from Beatrice again about the challenges of moving roles. What is it really like taking on a new job? And what advice do former ministers have for people moving? The real difficulty is getting to grips with a new policy portfolio that might be quite different from the job that ministers have done before. We spoke to one former minister who worried that she'd fallen off the board and got given a random job in a reshuffle because she moved from a job that involved lots of meeting people, and lots of external obligations, which she felt like suited her, to a really complicated policy-heavy brief in the Department for Work and Pensions. That's an enormous change and you can understand that it would take a while to get up to speed with the ways of working in the new department. Lots of former ministers we've spoken to really emphasise how important it is to speak to the person who did the role before, even if they're from the opposite party, that is, if they'll speak to you. They can help you understand the role and help you identify which issues have landed on your desk because they put them off when it was them. Ministers should also make sure that they set clear expectations with their civil servants on the first day. You can have a conversation with the people who run your office about how you like to work to make sure that they understand all of the demands that you're facing that will affect how you like to spend your time. So make sure they know if your constituency is far away, for example, and you're going to have to leave early on the Thursday at the end of your first week to dash back across the country. So to finish, thinking again about that first day in the ministerial job, let's hear some advice from Jim Murphy on how to hit the ground running and how to make the most of the new role. You know, that's a really un- unfashionable thing to say. But if you're a new minister and you get the call from the prime minister, it's a really it's a really daring thing to say. But say to the prime minister, what exactly is it you'd like me to do in this job? Because I can't remember being given very clear instructions in any job that I was given. Um, so that would be a gutsy thing to do, but that's fine. So for a new minister starting the job, I would recommend that, first of all, they build up really strong relationships with their PEMSEC, that they find a way of communicating regularly with their Secretary of State, because if you're a parliamentary second or Minister of State and you're out of the line of sight of your Secretary of State, it can become quite lonely. So build and work very hard at maintaining a relationship with the political head of the department and the civil service head of the department. And alongside that, within a week or so, have identified your priorities. Get Secretary of State, sign off on your priorities and then talk to your permanent sec about the resource implications of your priorities. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Next time, we'll be talking about the day-to-day reality of being a minister. If you're a new minister or have your eye on becoming one, we hope this special episode of Inside Briefing has given you a sense of what the first day is really like. Just remember to make sure you don't get on a train on reshuffle day. You can listen to the rest of the series on our website, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more, check out the IFG Academy pages on our website, which are full of resources for those in or interested in joining government. And read our Ministers Reflect interviews with almost 150 former government ministers. Thanks for listening.